0: Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are now on Lesson 8 of our third quarter of the year 2021. The whole thing is called Rest in Christ. Right. And this lesson is titled Free to Rest. So we're very tied into this theme still about rest and uh, Pastor Howard, you prepared the talking points for this week. So yes, indeed. So, kind of give us an overview. What did we find in this week's lesson?
1: Well, this week's lesson draws primarily from the stories of the paralytic whose friends let him down through the roof to yes. be healed by Jesus, and then also the story of Elijah when you have the encounter on Mount Carmel and then the follow up uh, running off to Mount Horeb. And okay. drawing from that, the concepts of forgiveness okay. in order to find rest and then freedom from depression. That's kind of where the lesson goes, and we'll talk about that a little bit
0: more. All right. So we're going to look at some physical things, some spiritual things, and a lot of things are touched on in this lesson. So uh, no doubt there's a lot to talk about, and so we need to get diving in. But before we do that, let's start with the word of prayer. Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for being God who communicates to us, and not just on uh, overarching themes, but on practical realities of life, too. In this lesson, Lord, we're going to be looking at some practical things and help us to understand it and make that application by your Holy Spirit in our lives. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother Howard, what are our talking points this week?
1: Well, let's, um, let's look at the intro a little bit, first of all, okay. on Sabbath afternoon, just the third paragraph of the lesson that says this week we look at two very different examples of healing. In the one, the sufferer was so ill that he could not even come to Jesus on his own. His symptoms were clearly visible to everyone. In the other, there were no obvious visible symptoms. In both cases, healing came in God's time and way. And as I mentioned, you're going to look. We're looking at the paralytic, and then the story of Elijah. Now, the talking points that I have drawn out are number one: physical and spiritual healing are inseparable. Okay. The two go together. We find that from Sunday and Monday's lessons. Okay. Talking point number two, faulty expectations lead to spiritual despondency. Mm. And that is drawn from Tuesday and Wednesday. And finally, drawn from Thursday's lesson, laboring for others is the cure for despondency. Amen.
0: Okay. Um, well, I was we...
1: going to put the surefire cure, but, you know, then when we do the videos, camera, you know, if, they, if the... If
0: the <laughs> Points go too yeah. long, then you have the kind of the return. Yeah, it gets weird on this. Honestly, I really like that. That I have re- recognized that, like our little half-page limitations here on yes. spacing and the lower <laughs> thirds we put in here, like and it it seems like frustrating. Like, why can't we just say everything we want? Well, there's not time and place for that. So it's a helpful tool to have to trim everything down to its most clear and succinct state. Right. So anyway,
1: <laughs> those are our three talking points. Physical, and spiritual healing are inseparable. Faulty exploit. Expectations lead to spiritual despondency, and laboring for others is the cure for despondency.
0: Okay, so let's talk about how physical and spiritual healing are well, inseparable.
1: Anybody who has done a, a, a Bible study on health, an Adventist Bible study on health, is going to find 3 John, verse 2. 3 John is just one chapter, and verse 2, um, why don't you read that for us? Okay. And this is not in the lesson, by the way, this verse, but it... The, the concept is, and so this is the first that came to my mind.
0: Third John 2, mm-hmm. Apostle says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers
1: and typically we explain that as the relation john here is saying that one prospers as the other the, mm-hmm. the physical as well it speaks of not a disembodied spirit or right. soul <laughs>
0: we are a soul we don't have a soul as but a separate our entity. spiritual
1: life as right. the bible is sometimes so your spiritual life and your physical life go hand in hand now the lesson that highlights that is it takes us to the story of the healing of the paralytic in mark chapter 2 and in the healing of course. If you review the lesson, you know that this man, as it said in the introduction, he couldn't get to Jesus on his own. Mm -hmm. His friends brought him. But the great burden of heart for him was the physical, I'm sorry, the spiritual healing, not the physical healing. Mm. And you get that implication pretty clearly from Scripture. But then you go to Desire of Ages on it. And it just makes it it crystal clear. So in Scripture, the first thing Jesus does is not heal the man's uh, body. Mm. Now that's ironic as most people who came to Jesus for healing you see him healing the physical malady mm-hmm. so why in this case, are the first things and here are all, all the trouble they go to to get him to Jesus, why the first thing Jesus addresses is, "Hey, your sons are some a son be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven." Well, he knew that was the mm-hmm. burden of this man's heart, and there's a lesson in that that the the in fact, I should bring out that our quarterly lesson highlights that his paralysis was the result of his sin. They refer to Desire of Ages, who gives the backstory. I just mm-hmm. put a little bit of the quote here in our handout, Desire of Ages 267.2. His disease was the result of a life of sin, and his sufferings were embittered by remorse.
0: So It's almost like he had two problems. A, he's got the physical problems, but the, the remorse on top of it, so he's got both the spiritual and the physical going well, on.
1: Well, then you have the current, cur- then-current mindset that all suffering as a result of is a curse of god because mm. of your sin. so it's
0: not just a consequence of your action but it's actually so a he knows god. Yeah,
1: yeah so he knows he's got the consequences but in, it, right. in, in addition to that it must be that god's punishing him and if god's punishing him then god's certainly not going to forgive him <laughs> yeah
0: that spiritual so he's a...
1: got that and so jesus is addressing that when he comes into the situation
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that his paralysis was a re- result of a sin and he knew that the man longed for forgiveness uh, I have also a note in here in the and the quarterly makes a point of it as well that good living the the quarterly mentions that mm-hmm. we have health principles in the Bible um, and those health principles are to safeguard us you know both physically and spiritually but as I noted here all uh, uh Good living is no guarantee for sickness.
0: Right. Like, they make the point. A, a, against in, sickness. As long as we're in this sin-sick world, there will be no guarantees of health, no matter how diligently we follow the health principles. So that's not right. to say, well, throw them out. No, no, no. Yeah. They're good for what they do, but they're not the panacea. They don't cure at all.
1: Right. So what's interesting in this story is Jesus heals the man. And I want you to read from our uh, handout here, Desire Ages 268,
0: paragraphs sure. 3 and 4. The burden of despair rolls back from the sick man's soul. The peace of forgiveness rests upon his spirit and shines out upon his countenance. His physical pain is gone, and his whole being is transformed. The helpless paralytic is healed. The guilty sinner is pardoned. In simple faith, he accepted the words of Jesus as the boon of new life. He urged no further request, but lay in blissful silence, too happy for words. The light of heaven radiated his countenance, and the people looked with awe upon the scene. Now, you
1: would you would read this and assume, maybe at first glance, without reading the rest of Desire of Ages, that this must have been after the physical healing.
0: Well, it does say his physical pain is gone. Right. But the emphasis is clearly the sin-sick soul. But, but if you read it in Desire of Ages, uh-huh.
1: the physical healing hasn't even taken place yet. Mm. In other words, this paragraph comes in and then the religious leaders start talking and saying who's this man who thinks he can forgive mm. sins and jesus says you know that you may know that the power the son of man has power in earth then he heals the body mm. so the context of this statement where it says the helpless paralytic is healed mm-hmm. is highlighting the spiritual healing mm. and i think it's important to note and the lesson is trying to bring this out There's never such thing as... God always wants to completely heal the the person. Mm -hmm. And more so spiritually than physically, which is why there are many, as we mentioned, a person can live and follow all the health principles and everything, and still suffer. There are some of you who are watching. There are some of you who are teachers, Sabbath school teachers who suffer from illness. And you prayed for deliverance and wondered why God hasn't physically healed when He can physically heal. But God will always spiritually heal Mm. and ultimately will physically heal as well. But that timing of that physical healing may not be
0: right away. Well, if you make that context, then it says he urged no further request. And that was your point. If that's all that Jesus did, he'd have been a happy man. That's right. He urged no further request, but lay in blissful silence too happy for words. Notice he didn't stand up, so he wasn't healed. But just even in his stuck condition... He was really happy, just laying there, enjoying the forgiveness. Right, friends, yeah.
1: come and get me to, you know, drive me, carry me back home. Right, you would have been fine. Yeah, which, which I, I couldn't help when I read this, thinking, how much do we value? Yes, the assurance of forgiveness. Yeah, sin's forgiven,
0: and we, you know, this man, that was it. It's like yeah. I'll go through life as a cripple. I'm fine. Yeah, and we might think like, yeah, yeah, good, good, good. When are my legs going to get fixed? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm, I'm good. It's incredible.
1: But Jesus did end up healing the man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, physically as well, and I don't know if you read the paragraph Monday, paragraph 2, in the quarterly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a good note here. Uh, it says, because we are often unaware of a disease until we notice the symptoms, we often think of the disease as as merely the symptoms. We think that getting rid of the symptoms means healing. Jesus approaches disease very differently. He knows that the root of all suffering disease and wants to treat this first. And I think this is important as we seek to minister to people's needs. Now, this, this, I found a statement that we're going to look at here in just a second. But we often talk, and rightfully so, about when we're trying to reach people with spiritual truth, it's important to meet their physical needs as well. In fact, we typically will seek to feed, meet a person's physical needs first, because it wins confidence. Right, for good reason.
0: There's counsel to do that.
1: That's exactly right. But what can happen, and we see happening a lot in our church, we've discussed this, is there are a lot of felt needs ministries that never get around to the spiritual now. Mm. It's like, oh, I'm going to help them, and I'm going to meet their needs here. They're hungry, or they need shelter, they need this, that, and the other. But we don't get around to addressing the spiritual. And so this is where the lesson is trying to tie the two together that you can't have one without the other, ultimately. And there's an interesting statement from the book, Ministry of Healing. Why don't you read that for us? It's sure. at, at the. Uh, page 77? Bottom of the page here, yeah, Ministry of Healing 77. Uh, the paralytic
0: found in Christ healing for both the soul and the body. Okay, and she's commenting on this very story we're looking at. Right. He needed health of soul before he could appreciate health of body which, by the way, is upside down of what we typically hear, but Mm -hmm. he needed the spiritual first, right? Before the physical malady could be healed, Christ must bring relief to the mind and cleanse the soul from sin. This lesson should not be overlooked. There are today thousands suffering from physical disease who, like the paralytic, are longing for the message, thy sins are forgiven. The burden of sin, with its unrest and unsatisfied desires, is the foundation of their maladies. Now pause there for a minute. The foundation... So in other words, this is saying there are...
1: In fact, Ellen White makes a statement elsewhere and I, I forget off the top of my head, you may remember, that many people die the result of diseases uh, uh, d- die of diseases the result of which is almost wholly imaginary. Mhm. In other words, the mind has a powerful psychological on the body. spiritual exactly. influences
0: can actually manifest in physical ailment.
1: And that's going to lead us into the whole ki- idea of di- despondency in a minute, but but health of health of uh, uh, soul, mm. rightness with God has a direct effect on the physical well being.
0: Well, the statement continues they can find no relief until they come to the healer of the soul. The peace which he alone can impart would restore vigor to the mind and health to the body. You know, th- th- what I have heard other people think, and maybe I've thought it myself, but mm-hmm. this term disinterested benevolence, I just want to do the good for the physical, meet the temporal needs, and then, and, and, and right. I think we've come to maybe it's just me again, have come to a view that is uninterested benevolence. Like, I'm not interested <laughs> in right. your spiritual, but I'm only interested. But I think what she, what when she talks about Christ's disinterestedness, he wasn't interested in your background or your your, your right. social, economic, your religious, or whatever the other issues or might be. Or what I'm
1: going to get out of it. You're right. What is coming from I'm me. Not,
0: right. I'm just doing it for the sake of it. But the ultimate good in that benevolence is spiritual as that's well right. as physical. And that's the takeaway
1: here is that you don't, we need to minister to people's physical needs and mm. emotional needs, but God forbid we neglect the spiritual because it's tied together. A person's never going to have that true rest mm. until they have the spiritual healing.
0: Amen.
1: Which leads us to the next story the lesson dives into is the story of Elijah. And talking about Elijah when he runs, we're not going to recount the whole thing, but when Elijah runs from, you know, he after Mount Carmel and the fire comes down from heaven and he's expecting great yeah. reform and then you know, word comes back that Jezebel's going to kill you, and, and he's off, and he runs.
0: Look, to illustrate how 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 disconnected I think we think spiritual and physical are sometimes, yes. even when I was reading through this, and it said, we're going to hear two stories of healing. One of the man, the paralytic, I'm like, yep, yeah, got it. Yeah. And the other one is Elijah. It's like, when when, when was he sick? <laughs> right? We so tie, the only healing is physical right. that it, I think it's an interesting thing to look at Elijah as an example of healing. That's right. Well,
1: and now the lesson goes into, and I'm going to divert a little bit here, the lesson talks a lot about Elijah going into depression. And Mm. talks about things that triggered his depression. And and, and almost terminology that one would expect to be used with a clinical depression. Mm. Which I think would be unfair to our viewers who have clinical depression. Despondency and discouragement are not equivalent to clinical depression. Right. And so the lesson I know wasn't trying to bring that out and stuff.
0: So I'm... We're a little loose with the term maybe. So I'm going
1: to use... When I'm talking about Elijah, I'm using the term despondency. He got discouraged. And the point... Talking point number two is faulty expectations lead to spiritual despondency. He had expected, I mean, look, fire came down from heaven <laughs> in, re- in response to his prayer, and he expected that there's the evidence. I mean, all Israel is going to return to God, stop worshiping Baal. King Ahab is going to get some backbone. He's going to tell his, his wife, who's a prophetess of Baal, look, I'm not listening to you anymore, I'm listening to God. And, and you know, he goes up the mountain
0: with an expectation of fire, and he gets fire. That's exactly so right. So what I'm saying, like, dude has this mindset that... He prays that, exactly. for God for rain. Right. And just the so slightest happens, little... You know, yeah. No, no,
1: no. But the slightest... Like, He doesn't wait for big thunder right. clouds. You see a little cloud. That's it.
0: But he's had three and a half years. I'm going to shut this place right. down by the word of God. And it shuts down. <laughs> he said, I'm going to turn it back on when you... And he comes up the mountain. So everything, every expectation of his has been met. Right. And so why wouldn't this final act of, ah, oh, the great revival, right? Yes. No, not so much. And so <laughs> when he
1: comes in his prayer, the Lord says, what are you doing here, Lord? Elijah and says, oh, I ought to die. I'm not better than my fathers. He's And fathers isn't always referring to your direct lineage, but the, his forefathers, his predecessors, mm-hmm. the prophets who went before him, mm-hmm. you know, they hadn't been able to affect the great reform. But now Elijah's going to affect the great reform and oh, I'm no better than the fathers. Still, <laughs> because what happens? I mean, how did Jezebel get word out that he's going to die? Why didn't Ahab leave? He led Ahab back in the rain, right? Right, right? And he's like, go talk to his wife
0: and fix it. (laughs) Ahab's
1: going to say, no, you're not, woman. He's not going to go. You're not going to go after that prophet of God. He's going to... But um, Mm. so Elijah was was discouraged because he expected a different outcome. And I think oftentimes our discouragement doesn't come from the fact that God forgot us Mm. and he's off somewhere on a journey, you know, to... But that we expected him to work in a way that he didn't work. Mercy. And so Mm. um, the lesson kind of highlights that in the whole still small voice encounter. Mm. Right? And I thought this was interesting, Cameron. God, like, we always talk about the story of how God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. But he didn't start speaking that way. In other words, he came to the cave. They had a conversation. Mm -hmm. What are you doing here, Elijah? They were, and then he says, "Go out on, to the, yeah. uh, come out and see." Me. I'm going to go out, Whirlwind, and you come meet me at fire, the door of the cave.
0: Earthquake! I mean, he starts rolling out these well things that would match his expectations. It's like right. Where was all this before? You know, and but then the final upshot is God then speaks in a still small voice. It's like this is how I talk.
1: That's right, and it was that was intended to be in a lesson for Elijah that mm-hmm. listen. You're expecting all this big stuff, and if you don't see the big stuff, you don't think I'm working. Mm. But I'm going to show you that most of the time, I speak in very quiet and subtle ways. Mm. Uh, I work in very quiet and subtle ways. Why don't you read that, what it says, Prophets and Kings there, um, in the middle of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Into the, uh, 168. Oh, uh, oh,
0: 168, okay. Not in mighty manifestations of divine power, but by a still small voice, did God choose to reveal himself to his servant. He desired to teach Elijah that it is not always the work that makes the greatest demonstration that is the most successful in accomplishing his purpose. Boy, we need to soak that in when we mm-hmm. talk about the work of even how like
1: often do we get pastoral stories, or
0: evangelism we... or administration, anything that, want, even good works for the Lord, much less in your own home or something like this, that so you would think that, oh, it's a spiritual thing, so God's really going to let the fire roll. And... Listen, how many times, we, we
1: in our conference, just so you know, we, we, in addition to our other responsibilities, just inherited the responsibility of public evangelism, planning for prayer, public evangelism. <laughs> of course, we've been involved in that in our ministries, but how many times after a public evangelistic meeting do you have maybe one or two interests instead of nine or ten interests? It's like, oh, why do we do that? We spend a lot of money. In it. Because we didn't have the big show that we expected at the mm-hmm. end. Of course, I always remind people, how many did Jesus have at the end of his three and a half year campaign? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like they were all shouting crucify him. It wasn't yeah. until Pentecost. So there's it takes time and the way God works. Yeah. But the point this is the point here is we we feel like if, if things don't happen a certain way, mm-hmm. then nothing's happening. And how many times have you seen it where God will bring a person into the church or a couple? and sometimes because the church itself isn't ready for five or ten, mm-hmm. right? Mercy. But that one person brings another and brings another. And, and, and soon there's 10 people in the church because of that one person. Or that one person goes into ministry and wins.
0: And over uh, over time, you might end up with a better outcome qualitatively exactly than you would have right. had for a bigger show at the front end that would have seemed, oh, this is the fire we needed. Right. Anyway good point
1: so faulty expectations lead to spiritual despondency and okay. again just drawing the I thought this was an interesting statement again we're trying to draw a distinction between something like a clinical depression we're talking about a despondency where Ellen white says in uh, prophets and Kings 162 incidentally most of these quotes are from the chapters dealing with the Bible stories we looked at mark chapter 2 in the paralytic and desire of ages and then there's two chapters on Elijah in the whole Mount Carmel experience, and then the follow-up. Mm-hmm. Several chapters in Prophets and Kings on Elijah, they're all powerful. So these are all speaking
0: two. directly to the illustrations. Yes, themselves. Yeah.
1: and uh, it says, Into the experience of all there come times... So this is the experience of all. And again, I'm... The, Clinical depression is not all, mm-hmm. but everybody gets discouraged at times. There come times of keen disappointment and utter discouragement. Days when sorrow is the portion, and it is hard to believe that God is still the kind benefactor of His earthborn children. And you probably really, like God. Where are you, mm-hmm. God? Why, are you just deciding not to be nice today? Are you, you know that those kind of things enter the mind of all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting now if you look at that next. It goes a few pages later, or one page, one sixty-four.
0: Um, what it says there about hope and courage. Yeah, hope and courage are essential to, perf- uh, to perfect service for God. These are the fruit of faith. Despondency is sinful and unreasonable. Whew. So I figured we... we now that yeah, you read that on, on that the page, moment.
1: yes, like, oh, it's sinful and unreasonable. So I shouldn't
0: ever be sorrowful right. or sad. And,
1: and what she's saying, in the, in that, it's in the context of hope and courage are the fruit of faith. Mm-hmm. And you think about it. Well, when am I despondent? It's when I start doubting. Like, if I always could keep focused on the fact that God's in control, no matter what, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. God's in control. God has this. He's allowed this. Then I wouldn't be despondent. Despondency is when I start to question. I said, "Where is God?" And this is where Elijah was. He kind of ran from. Well, I don't understand why this is happening, and he turned mm. from the path God had him on, which we're gonna see in a minute. And so. It's in that context she says despondency is sinful and
0: unreasonable it's the opposite of faith. Right and it seems to say that something is sinful and unreasonable is making it a choice like you are you have you have the mm-hmm. opportunity through evidences of God to choose hope and courage and stay That's fit, right. but instead you are willfully resigning yourself to a a state of a sorrow and, right. that is completely unnecessary that, whereas I think you That's rightly right. made a difference between clinical depression which we're not trying to get into a psychologist chair here and, and we certainly don't want to be health care professionals mm-hmm. but there seems to be clearly a difference between someone genuinely suffering from an, a whole nother level of different uh, psychological whatever mm-hmm. between someone who is a worker for god who has evidence of his leading and chooses to remain in a faithless, hopeless, That's you know, right. despondency. He's like, no, no, if you're in that condition and God has given you this, you can get up and Well, go I also forward.
1: believe that God gives power to everybody to, yes. to choose, and you can choose that potent, you know, in this case, just to trust the Lord. Remember, faith is not feeling. Mm. Just You're not going to, I'm not saying you're going to feel positive, But sometimes we have to choose to be positive. Mm. You know, I don't feel it, but I know God's in charge anyway. I don't see him in charge. I don't see him up there on his throne. I don't see him making sure everything's going, but I trust that he is. You know, that kind of thing.
0: Well, then in light of that trust, and I think it takes you to Mm the third talking point there, if people have the option for either faith and hope or despondency and despair, how do they pull out? It's a very practical question, Mm -hmm. but I like your third talking point. I don't have the statement
1: here, but there's a statement where Ellen White says it's in Laboring for others or working for others—that we forget ourselves. Mm. You ever noticed despondency? The more you think about yourself and your despondency, the more you despondent yeah.
0: you get. So you were going to say, "Yeah, well, if the third talking point is then remedy, laboring for others is the cure for despondency. That there is hope, there is a way out, and God has provided it. Get up and go to work. That's right. Yeah, we see that in the
1: story. Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah? First of all, the question: What are you doing here? I had you over here. It I mean, the that whole implication, like. Else, yeah. God had him in one place, but Elijah went his own way. And how mm. many t- We could ask ourselves, Am I where God would have me to be? Mm. Okay? And the cure God devised is Elijah, I want you to go back. And you read verses 15, 16, 17. I want you to go back. You got work to do. You got to anoint, you know, Jehu, and yeah. you got to go over here, and you got to do this and this. And, and Elisha is going to be your. So he put him back to work as mm. the cure. Mm. And this cure still works for, uh, works for us today. Amen. There's a couple statements here. Uh, Prophets and Kings 164 says, For the disheartened, there is a sure remedy. Faith, prayer, work. Faith and activity will impart assurance and satisfaction that will increase day by day. Mm. And there's a, there's a whole great section on that if you continue in Prophets and Kings. Now, the next statement here, uh, and I'm sorry I didn't include the reference. We can look at it, and I'll put the reference in the outline later. Um
0: but why don 't you read yeah, that the best medicine you can give the church is not preaching or sermonizing, but planning work for them? Mercy if set to work, the despondent would soon forget their despondency. The weak would become strong, the ignorant, intelligent, and all would be prepared to present the truth as it is in Jesus. They would find an unfailing helper in him who has promised to save all who come unto him by faith mm.
1: so there are a couple of things that strike me first of all. The quarterly had mentioned with the paralytic that oftentimes we look at the symptoms and we don't realize the real need. And oftentimes we look at the physical need. If we saw, like Jesus did, we'd see there's a spiritual need underneath it. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, when we look to cures, we look to cure the symptoms. Mm. And in this case, if we could really see as God sees, we would prescribe what God prescribed. And this mm. isn't just with Elijah. You find it throughout the scripture that God puts people to work. The disciples, he put them to work. Mm. Elijah put them to work. He calls people to work. And it they they, they quit focusing on themselves and their challenges. Mm. And I'm not saying we should never think about that. Well, of, of
0: course, there is. A, Jesus also told his disciples, come away and rest a while. That's there right. are p- occasions for that. But... If you're stuck in this cycle of, I don't see success, I don't know, mm-hmm. the, the cure is not more thinking about it, taking more time to really reflect. It's like, well, find get, somebody who needs more help than you. And right. The world is Go full of it. them. Exactly. And
1: you know, that's what he did for Elijah. That's what he does for us.
0: All right. Well, in conclusion then, uh, on Fridays, this is also from, is also, in five, from Prophets and Kings. Pretty much everything on this whole back page is, is quotes that are tied to Elijah's story but have direct application for us today. Yeah. And the lesson has some good quotes, but I liked this one better from the fair. same You're the Sabbath school teacher. Passage. You can make that choice. Right. <laughs> All right. Do you want to read it or me? Go ahead. All right. This is from preach, uh, Prophets and Kings 174. Despondency may shake the most heroic faith and weaken the most steadfast will. But God understands, and He still pities and loves. He reads the motives and the purposes of the heart. To wait patiently, to trust when everything looks dark, is the lesson that the leaders in God's work need to learn. Heaven will not fail them in their day of adversity. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on God.
1: Mm, what a great statement. Wow,
0: what a great statement. Well, I think there's a lot of great fodder for good Sabbath school discussion this week, so I'm looking forward to my own local class, and hopefully yours mm. will be a blessing as well. But as we close, Pastor Howard, can you give us a word of prayer?
1: Yes, let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the testimony of your word. Lord, we know that there are those, even uh, reviewing this Talking point, this presentation, who may be suffering from questions of forgiveness, or from despondency and discouragement, I pray that this would be a help to them, and perhaps those who have struggled with these things can be a help in ministering to others who are still struggling with them, in our Sabbath School classes. As we share these stories from Scripture, and the evidences from Your Word, and from inspiration, to encourage assurance in sins, of sins forgiven, and the blessing of laboring for others, and helping them to come to know and rest in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask and pray these things in His name. Amen.